some researchers showed that the more expensive you make the placebo, the better it works. A number of years ago, I remember seeing a video um, by Simon Sinek, who I've talked about a lot. And this video particularly was about how to start a talk. It was, and, and his advice was, you know, as someone who was a professional public speaker, his advice was you should start a talk with a story because human beings relate to stories at a visceral level. And then a few years after that, or a year or so after that, I was listening to a podcast and I heard, um, I heard an interview with Yuval Noah Harari and he was speaking about uh, his newest book. Uh, so I'm not going to remember the name of his newest book, but the, the older book, he's also the author of a book called Sapiens, which um, they talked a little bit about and, and they gave a summary of that book, which I've since started listening to, but I never, I have to admit, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but, but him talking about the, some of the main ideas in the book um, underscored for me again that story stories are incredibly important to human beings um, and in fact the ability for us to tell stories and remember stories and be affected by stories may be our greatest superpower and it may be what at the end of the day, what allows us as human beings, as, as homo sapiens, um, to essentially uh, become the most powerful organism on the planet. And, and the examples, so the examples he's talked about that I've heard him talk about are, um, so, so he, he goes through in this interview, he talked about some of the history uh, of our species is Homo sapien um, is the name of our species and I'm sure you may be familiar with this picture there's a picture of uh, of the of the evolution of the human being where it shows pictures of Neanderthals and I can't remember all the names but Neanderthals and Homo erectus is another species that we homo sapiens evolved from so there's this kind of i think the picture i can i'm, I'm sort of thinking of has four or five different uh hominid uh it, it shows the progression through these different species all the way through to uh, homo sapien and seeing that image makes me at least the way i saw it was this is this was a progression and first you had Neanderthals and then you had Homo erectus on the planet and then you had Homo sapiens on the planet. But it turns out that many of these different species existed around the same time. Um, and if I'm remembering the dates correctly, it's somewhere around 150,000 years ago, many of these species were... Um, were on the planet at the same time in different areas of the planet. And then all of a sudden, about 70,000 years ago, which, which is sort of like in the blink of, a, of an eye in terms of the evolution, you know, in, in terms of the history of the Earth, in terms of evolution of species, 
this the homo sapiens suddenly shifted their trajectory and became the dominant species on the planet and the question is what happened and and what was it that led to this and and uh, Yuval Harari argues that there was some genetic mutation or something that allowed us to tell stories and to remember stories and and to communicate in this way and what the ability to share a story does he argues is that it allows large numbers of people to cooperate effectively and to work together towards common goals prior to that there was i think uh, other species that led to homo sapiens existing other species were able to work in groups of 100 150 people and people could cooperate in so much as they could um, they could sort of tell stories about people and say is this person trustworthy you know should this person be part of our tribe or not um, there was sort of gossiping those kinds of things could could happen and that would allow you to get to so you could talk about people who existed around you or, or you could find a way to communicate and share those types of ideas but then suddenly we started to be able to talk about more um uh what's the what's the word i don't know i don't know what the right word is less less uh fixed ideas i don't know um yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the right word is, but ideas like like concept or, or coming up with the concept of money, for instance. So so the, um, the this is one of the examples he uses or or God, for instance, and so in, in religion are are some of the stories that he says, you know, are some of the most powerful stories on uh, on the planet now so the fact that i can that however this started for for human beings right when someone uh, farmed some sort of crop or grew some sort of crop and wanted to trade that crop for uh or sell that crop to someone for money that the trust in that exchange comes from the the story about what money is and why money is important to that society and and that led to people um, being able to cooperate and some people could be farmers and other people could be i don't know could do other things uh, some people could be hunters some could be gatherers i guess and and it allowed people to share um I guess be more efficient in some way and do things and and um i don't know i'm probably reaching too far here but the idea is that that this ability for people to um to be able to share these ideas and and for groups large groups of people to believe in similar ideas and about money or about religions led large numbers of people much much larger numbers of people in the examples of money and um, and religions, you know, Christianity, billions of people around the world believe in Christianity. Um, billions of people believe in the value of money and the story behind money. 
the one example he used in this podcast uh, was uh, about, and I can't remember exactly when this was, but it's something about the Islamic State when they would, the Islamic State being a group that when they, even though they didn't support anything about the U.S. government, for instance, when they broke into institutions that had money, pictures of dead presidents and statements on it, um, of dead U.S. presidents and statements and written English, and they, they didn't burn that money. They kept the money and used the money for their own needs. They believed in the story that that these pieces of paper had value. And so so that he uses those as examples of of how these stories have become universally accepted among humans, all of us humans that live now. And and so it's been something that I've been thinking a lot about is what, how can, um, how can we use these stories, how can we tell stories to our advantage to get the outcomes we want? So how do we convince people to, so in, in the context of, of what we're, um, what, you know, in, in terms of engineering health and, and this podcast, one of the things I am trying to get my head around is how can we make the world a better place? How can we get people to, how can we first of all understand how we can all live? What, how do we shift behaviors in people so that we can all live more healthy, so that we can prevent injury, so we can prevent illness. And changing behavior is very difficult. And it takes very, um, all the evidence shows that it takes very concerted efforts to get people to change anything, really, in our lives. Um, but with the right stories, I think we can get people to change. If we can get people to believe in something, you can get people intrinsically to want to change the way they do things. And finding the right stories to tell people, I think, is the way to try to get people to change. Um, the other example that I heard about, the, the reason this is coming together and and, and I'm sort of playing with these ideas in my mind and trying to process them as I talk about them a little bit because I th there's another podcast I listened to by Seth Godin where he talked about story and the power of story and um, and one example he used was a study that he talked about where placebos, he was talking about how he, he's, he's in general, he's fascinated by placebos and the effects they can have and how often placebos can have positive effects, positive health effects, certainly. And in one study they showed, uh, someone showed, and I can't remember the name of the researcher on this, but some researchers showed that the more expensive you make the placebo, 
the better it works. So they compared a, a cheap, I think it was like a 10 or 20 cent placebo that was kind of a, dis, a discounted medication. And there was um, a regular priced medication um, that was, I think, at 10 or $20, something like that. And the participants who were given the medication they were told the regular price was whatever it was 10 or 20 dollars and they were they were told that the price had been marked down to whatever it was 10 or 20 cents they experienced fewer benefits than the people who received the placebo and had to pay or or, or believed that the cost of the true cost of that placebo was uh, 10 dollars or 20 dollars the higher cost they saw bigger benefits and and so that again is the, you know the way i think what i get from that is the way you market or the story you have around that medication that functions as a placebo has a big impact can have a, an impact on how well that medication will work and how we perceive the story around it and so this is so to get specific what the, the the thing the types of things i'm thinking about is is how do you get um how do you get older adults for instance to use assistive devices we know that or, or anyone really anyone who needs an assistive device a cane or a walker for instance someone with a balance problem many people don't want to use uh, these devices, people don't want to spend money, particularly in in uh, places like Canada, where um, we have, you know, most of our healthcare costs are paid for, and so we seem to chafe at the idea that something that has to do with our healthcare should cost us something. It's very difficult to get people to buy equipment, assistive devices, and and then to actually use them as well because of the stigma potentially around using them or whatever. And the one thing that I have now seen work really effectively uh, to get uh, an older adult, for instance, and I've seen this work at least four times now, where an older adult sees a video of another older adult describing the benefits of a particular type of equipment. and and that is able to actually get someone to change their behavior and try a new piece of technology. So in thinking about COVID-19 and the time we're going through now, part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast really was to capture what's going on and, and sort of be able to recall the story as we remember it, as Tanya and I remember it, living through this time that's I, I feel deep down that this is going to be an important time that we will want to reflect back on and, and be able to tell this story to, uh, well, to our kids and others, uh, the next generation maybe. And, and, um, and it also strikes me that we you know, we hear numbers about numbers of people getting sick and numbers of people dying and the numbers of healthcare workers that are in this fight. But it's once we hear 
their stories that it becomes real. Once we hear of the first, I think it was one of the first people to die of COVID-19 in Canada. I think it, I think it was in Ontario or Toronto, maybe the first person to die in Ontario. I think it was a 71 year old man and his story was shared in, I think it was in the CBC news, um, and uh, who, by his daughter and son-in-law, I believe, and his daughter was a is a, is a doctor at the hospital where this gentleman was being treated before he passed away. And hearing that story from her perspective, seeing a family member go through that as a doctor, and um, I don't know, it was the first. It was it was one of the first. It, it hit me a lot harder. Um, the the effect of this and uh, I I think as well we were hearing stories from China when when this thing started, where it started. For instance, the doctor that first raised the alarm um, around this, who who first thought you know this looks. He, he raised the alarm and said, this looks like SARS, and is this a... He tried to get people to... He, he told many of his colleagues that he's seeing a, a spike in the numbers of patients who have this SARS-like infection, and he was shut down, and he, but he was shut down by the government and told not to tell quote-unquote lies about, about um, what was happening. And he... Um, he eventually passed away and there were pictures of him in his hospital bed and uh and it was it was those stories that uh and and i think it will be the stories of of real people one person at a time that leave the strongest mark for me in terms of what's what's happening right now and, and it's the way i can actually understand and process what's happening is by considering one person's story and, and another person's story and another person's story. And the stories that I'd most recently heard about was of another PSW who, who's died now um, by after contracting uh, COVID-19 on the job. So now in Ontario, I think four healthcare workers have died. Three of them have picked up the have died from COVID-19. Three of them have picked up the infection, the virus, on the job, and those three were all PSWs, so far personal support workers. And the third one to die, I think, was just a f- couple of days ago, and her family was telling her story, I think. She was a mother of five, if I remember correctly, and, um, and there's a, s- a pretty sad story of one of her daughters finding her and and doing CPR, frantically trying to do CPR on her, and it's uh, again it's the it's those stories, particularly of these frontline workers, um, that uh, that are helping those who are most vulnerable. Who, um, yeah, it's it's hearing those stories that that hits me the hardest. I think when I when I read that particular person or that family's story so um, yeah so I think I think all that to say 
I think story is an incredibly important thing and and we should try to share stories more and figure out how we can use stories to try to make people healthier if we can. Yeah, I think that's it for tonight. Good night. <laughs>